Chapter 6 The Real Christ His Meekness Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. Now I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. Thus far we have studied five features in the picture which God has drawn in His Word of the real Christ. The Christ of actual fact, as distinguished from the Christ of man's fancies and dreams. The Christ of romance. The Christ that never did and never will exist and shouldn't exist. We have studied His holiness, His love for God the Father, His love for men, His love for souls, and His compassion. Now we will study the sixth feature in that picture, a feature that relates to His compassion, but which at the same time is quite distinct from it. Our subject in this chapter is the meekness of Jesus Christ. Three of our four texts state and emphasize the fact that the Lord Jesus was meek. In the second text, His lowliness is put in close connection with His meekness, and at first I thought of combining these two in one chapter, but I found that the material was so abundant as to necessitate two chapters. Furthermore, though closely associated, they have entirely separate and distinct features. The meekness of Christ is one thing. His lowliness and humility are quite another thing. What is meekness? The first question that confronts us is, what is meekness? We shall find it is something quite different from the ordinary understanding of meekness. The thought that the word meekness conveys to the average mind, that indeed it formerly conveyed to my own mind, is that of patient submissiveness under injustice and injury. Jesus displayed that quality, as we shall see when we come to study his humility, but that is not what the Bible means by meekness. The Greek word translated meek in our texts means gentle or mild, according to its usage in Greek literature since the time of Homer. The word in its Bible usage means the same. I have carefully researched the sixteen passages in the Bible in which the word and its derivatives are found. The contexts in which the word is found clearly show that the meaning of meekness is that attitude of mind that is opposed to harshness and contentiousness, the attitude of mind that shows itself in mildness and gentleness and tenderness in dealing with others. The thought of gentleness in dealing with and correcting the errors of others is the predominant thought. We see this in three of our texts. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29. The thought here is that we will find rest in learning of Jesus because he is gentle and not a harsh teacher and master. This is more evident from the next verse. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11 verse 30. 
The Greek word translated easy in this verse really means mild, kind, pleasant, or gracious. That gentleness or mildness is the thought of the word in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. This is evident from the word with which it is coupled, gentleness. That gentleness, as distinguished from the warlike spirit, is the thought in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This is evident from his meekness being associated with his sitting on an ass, the beast of burden and service, as distinguished from the horse, which in the Bible is associated with war. How the Meekness of Christ Was Manifested That the thought of gentleness, mildness, and tenderness in correcting the errors of others is the intention of God in speaking of the meekness of Christ will become more evident as we consider how that meekness was manifested. Gentleness in Spiritual Dealings The meekness of the Christ was manifested in His gentle dealing with those whose spiritual life was fragile and the flame of whose love for God was flickering. This is seen in Isaiah's prophetic vision of the coming Christ, which Matthew quotes and applies to Jesus of Nazareth in his gospel. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. Matthew chapter 12 verse 20 and Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 3. The feeble and flickering faith and love of many is compared here to the reed that is bruised and almost broken, and the wick that is smoking and almost extinguished. The Lord Jesus will treat such individuals not with the severity and sternness that will crush and extinguish them, but with the tenderness that will strengthen and cherish and fan them into flame. This is a lesson we all need to learn in dealing with those who are young in the Christian life and weak in their faith. There is a great danger of discouraging these by expecting too much and demanding too much of them. Many who were once like a reed that was nearly broken are today a stalwart oak able to resist any violent storm, and many who were once like a smoldering wick about to go out are now brightly shining lights for God. But many well-meaning but tactless, self-sufficient, and unchristian zealots for the truth and for rightness crush the bruised reed and quench a smoking wick. If only we were all more like our Lord in this. He used the most considerate, delicate, and exquisite tenderness in dealing with the broken. With gentle breath, He encouraged the fire that was nearly gone out, instead of blowing it out with a too vigorous blast. Gentle Forgiveness In the second place, the meekness of the Christ was manifested in His gently telling the outrageous but penitent sinner that her sins were forgiven, and to go in peace. We see this illustrated in the incident to which we referred in speaking of the compassion of Christ, the incident of the outcast woman of Capernaum recorded in Luke chapter 7. When she came into the house of Simon, where Jesus was reclining at the table, Simon and the other guests would have driven the woman from the house in righteous indignation because of her vile conduct in the past. But Jesus looking into those tear-dimmed eyes, saw the dawning of a better life. He saw the sincere penitence and the budding faith in himself and said to her, Thy sins are forgiven. 
And then again he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. Luke chapter 7 verse 48 and verse 50. Which are we more like, our Lord Jesus or Simon the Pharisee? Many years ago, in my first pastorate at an outstation, a woman who had been a notorious sinner was converted and desired to be baptized by immersion. We gathered at a pool of water. I went down into the pool with the woman and buried her and her past beneath the baptismal waters, and she was raised again into newness of life. But some good people, really good people, I think, thought it was dreadful that I should baptize a woman like that, at least so soon. Though they were good people in many ways, in this they certainly were utterly unlike the Lord. Some of the saintliest people I have ever known were once the vilest of the vile, but fortunately for them, in the beginnings of their Christian life they had fallen in with those who had learned something of the meekness of the Christ of God. I know a man who was loved and honored by thousands, loved and honored as few are loved and honored in many states and on both sides of the Atlantic. But until he was forty-two years old, he was one of the wickedest and vilest of men. Then he was converted, very thoroughly converted, but extremely sensitive, weak, and easily discouraged. He came to Chicago while still a young convert and fell in with those who loved him and trusted him in spite of the black record of his past. But he still had grave discouragements. One day he was sorely discouraged. He went to the house of a friend who had welcomed him to the fireside, yes, to the very heart of his own home circle. A little child who could scarcely talk ran eagerly to him, and he took her up in his arms. Throwing her arms around his neck, she whispered, I love you, Kobe. It was a message of hope and cheer from heaven, spoken from a child's lips. It was the catalyst that drove him to Christ. He went on to Christian service, a service in which he has been marvelously blessed. Suppose he had been received with severity, cold words, and suspicion, and excluded from that family circle. Where would he have been today? Tenderness to the Fearful and Cowardly The meekness of the real Christ was manifested in his tender words to a moral coward who had tried to steal a blessing from him, unseen by any and confessing to none. Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Mark chapter 5 verses 33 through 34. This we see in the case of the woman who had the issue of blood. She had been ill for many years with a complaint that separated her from contact with the clean. She had heard of Jesus, and came in the crowd behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch but his garments, I shall be made whole. Mark chapter 5 verses 27 through 28. She was a coward. She should have come openly. She should have confessed openly what he had done before the confession was wrung from her. But the Lord Jesus did not disregard her on that account. He gently asked, Who touched my garments? To the disciples it seemed a foolish question, for many were crowding around him and touching him, but only one had really touched him. The woman was full of fear and trembling. She knew she had done wrong. She was afraid he would drive her away and that she would lose the blessing. But with indescribable gentleness he turned to her and said, Daughter, 
Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Now this woman was clearly in the wrong. She should have come openly and declared her need, and she should have confessed the healing. She richly deserved reproof. She deserved to go without the blessing that she sought to obtain in an underhanded way, without rendering to the Lord Jesus the acknowledgement and honor he so richly deserved. But how matchless was the gentleness and tenderness of our Lord! He did indeed bring out the public confession from her of her former need and present healing, but he did so gently. Our Lord could be severe. He could be scathing in his rebukes, as we have already seen in studying his holiness, and as we will see again in studying his rugged manliness. But he could be more mild and gentle than the gentlest mother. That is an art we all need to learn more fully and to practice more constantly. You will say, that is not my natural temperament. Then get a supernatural temperament. Get it by supernatural grace that transforms a wrong temperament into a Christ-like temperament. Get it by the filling of the Holy Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22-23 Gentleness in Rebuking Unbelief The meekness of the Christ of God was manifested in the gentleness with which he rebuked the stubborn unbelief of a willful, though honest, doubter. We see this in the case of Thomas. You know the story as recorded in John. Recall how, when our Lord appeared to the disciples on the evening of his resurrection, Thomas was not with them. When he returned to them, altogether the disciples cried, We have seen the Lord. Thomas said, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. John chapter 20, verse 25. A week passed, and Thomas remained in his unbelief. But on the evening of the first day of the next week, the disciples were gathered together again, and this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus cometh, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you, to the whole company. Then he turned to Thomas and said to him so gently, Reach hither thy finger, and see my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and put it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. John chapter 20, verses 26 through 27. There are many doubters today, many stubborn, willful doubters, who can be won by treatment like that. But we try to pound our beliefs into their heads. We get angry, contentious, argumentative, and self-assertive when they will not accept our beliefs at once. We will never win them that way. We simply confirm them in their doubt and unbelief. But you say, they are unreasonable. Yes, they are unreasonable, and you are unchristlike. Thomas was most unreasonable. He was stubborn. He was willful. He said, unless I am given the exact kind of proof I demand, I will not believe, no matter how sufficient other proofs are. But as unreasonable as Thomas was not to believe the competent testimony of the men whom he knew so well, and as willful as he was in trying to dictate what kind of proofs must be given, our Lord Jesus was gentle and kind. And soon we see Thomas on his knees looking up into the face of Jesus and crying, 
my Lord and my God. John chapter 20, verse 28. I saw a man like that one summer in China. I watched him with keen and most astonished interest. He was gently courteous with everyone, with the Chinese as well as with the Europeans, with the Chinese coolie as well as with the Chinese gentleman, with the stubborn skeptic as well as with the enthusiastic believer in Christ, and he won everyone. I saw little children flock around him and drink in every word he spoke. I saw prominent scholars defer to him. I saw proud Chinese gentlemen yield to him and do with cheerfulness what he was very loath to do. Where had he learned this? He had learned it from the Lord Jesus, to whom he had turned in such early boyhood that he didn't have the faintest recollection of when he was converted. Many of us were converted later in life, and we had been harsh, overbearing, self-assertive, and domineering before we were converted. We have brought much of our severity and our domineering self-assertion and determination to influence everyone else to our point of view, whether they wanted it or not, into our new life. But we can learn better. Tenderness in Rebuking Self-Confidence and Unfaithfulness The meekness of the Christ was manifested in the tenderness with which he rebuked self-confidence, a consequent fall, unfaithfulness, and flagrant denial of himself. The particular instance of this that we have in mind is, of course, that of Peter. You can read about it in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Peter had said on the night before the crucifixion, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And he had said again, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Matthew chapter 26, verses 33 through 35. Remember how a little later, when faced with a charge made by a servant girl, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? Peter's courage instantly vanished, and his protestations of loyalty were utterly forgotten. John chapter 18, verse 17. Remember how he denied his Lord three times, the last time with oaths and cursings. Then, when Jesus was risen from the dead, Peter met him on the shores of Galilee. Breakfast was over, and our Lord asked Peter, Simon, son of John, lovest thou me more than these? Peter answered, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Then again a second time Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, lovest thou me? And again Peter replied, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said, Tend my sheep. Then a third time the Lord, looking into Peter's eyes, asked, Simon, son of John, lovest thou me? And grieved Peter answered, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. How wonderfully tender it all was! Searching, it is true, but how tender! How gentle! And all the more effective because Peter was grieved, grieved all the more deeply because it was so gentle. Peter never forgot it. He never denied his Lord again. When standing before the very council that had condemned Christ to death, he said, Ye rulers of the people and elders, if we this day are examined concerning a good deed done to an impotent man, by what means this man is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, 
even in him doth this man stand here before you whole. He is the stone which was set at naught of you the builders, which was made the head of the corner, and in none other is there salvation. For neither is there any other name under heaven that is given among men, wherein we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verses 8-12 through 12. How differently some of us would have treated Peter. We would have received him back, yes, but what a sound trouncing we would have given him first. I can imagine myself handling Peter and saying fiercely in righteous indignation, Simon, you coward, denying your Lord with oaths and curses. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to go and hide your head. You ought to hesitate to show yourself in the presence of his disciples. How unlike we are to him, whom we call our Lord. Tender Reproof of His Betrayer The meekness of the Christ was manifested in His tender and pleading reproof of His betrayer, Judas Iscariot. We see this in John. Jesus was troubled in the Spirit, and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Later, after He had given the morsel to Judas, Satan entered into Judas. Jesus turned to him and said, What thou doest, do quickly. John chapter 13, verse 21 and verse 27. What tenderness and what pleading there was in all this. We will feel it more if we try to imagine the tone in which Jesus said it. It is true that in the case of Judas, the meekness of our Lord failed to bring him to repentance. But the devil had already entered into Judas, and the devil is incorrigible, even before the meekness and gentleness of our Lord. We see the same thing once more in the garden, when Judas came with the priests and soldiers to arrest Jesus and drag him to trial and crucifixion. Judas brazenly approached Jesus and kissed him in seeming affection, but in reality to mark him as the one to arrest. Full of pity, and a voice that was shaking with compassionate yearning, our Lord said, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Luke chapter 22 verse 48. Our Lord would win Judas even yet if it were possible. If anything would have succeeded, that would have. Praying for His Murderers The meekness of Christ was manifested in His praying for His murderers, the very ones whose hands nailed Him to the cross. The story is so well known to you that I hardly need repeat it. Jesus was hanging on the cross in awful agony, awful physical agony, but far more awful was the mental and spiritual agony. The whole weight of man's sin was laid upon him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He therefore recoiled in spiritual horror from sin as no other man ever recoiled, for no other was ever as holy as he. The Father's face was being hidden from Jesus by the black cloud of your sins and mine. His heart was already breaking, and soon he would cry in an agony that no other man ever knew, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. From the cross, he looked down at those who had driven the nails into his hands and feet, hoisted the cross, and left him hanging there. He saw them gambling for the garments they stripped from his poor body, and he uttered a prayer, not a prayer of condemnation, but a prayer of wondrous pity. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. The sublime simplicity and passion of the divine record 
impoverishes and makes impossible all attempts at human exposition. I do not need to attempt it. Meditate on it alone, and never forget that he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6.